You're listening to the Desperation Podcast with Pastor David Martin in week three of the series, What's Love Got to Do With It? Man, you know, we could have done like another hour of worship and I would have been totally fine with that. Welcome back to DSM. How y'all doing? Okay. (laughs) We're going to have to work on this, children. That's not rhetorical. How are you guys doing tonight? Are you happy to be in the house of God? Let me ask you that question. Okay. Father, do your thing. Oh, Lord, in the name of Jesus, bless tonight. Man, okay. I got a text from this guy in Arkansas. And he says, hey, Pastor Dave, you don't know me, but I listen to the Desperation DSM podcast every week, and I go to college at like Arkansas State University or whatever. And he's like, I heard you give your number away on the podcast. Didn't I tell you this would happen? And he's like, so I just wanted to text you. He said, listen, I just want to let you know, man, your sermons and just what God is doing through your ministry ministers to me every single week. And so I just want to let you know that there is people literally all over the United States that is getting fed through our ministry, man. So I'm going to ask you one more time, can we just take a moment at the count of three to welcome everybody across the United States that listens to our service? One, two, three, welcome! Not bad, not bad, not bad. Welcome to week three of our Heart Work series called What's Love Got to Do With It? You know, I I think some of y'all probably missed last week because you were celebrating Valentine's Day. Saint Valentine's Day. How many of y'all were celebrating last, last uh, Wednesday, Valentine's Day? You had a boo. Okay, everybody's taking a vow of celibacy. Okay, great. And uh, chastity or whatever. Okay, that, David, shut up and get back to your notes. Okay, I'm going to get myself in trouble by accident. Oh, here we go. Week three, what's love got to do with it? Now, I don't know if you know this, but I have two children, and a lot of you know that my son Dave Jr., he's the one who is typically worshiping in the front, but tonight he was playing drums. And uh, so Dave Jr. is my son, and I love my son. I'm so proud of him. Hayden, yeah, yeah, thank you. Uh, But I also have this little blonde angel. That's the only way I could describe her, and her name is Ashley, and it's spelled A-S-H-L-E-I-G-H because we wanted to squeeze as many vowels as we could into her name, and uh, so we're big fans of vowels, and, and so she's so creative, and she's so amazing, and she's so beautiful, and I just, I love my daughter. I love being her father. So when she was three years old, what you have to understand is that if she's nine, that was about six years ago, she's about to turn four. But like every other little girl on planet Earth at this point, she was all about the Disney princess thing, right? And this was also at the height of Frozen. So you understand what this probably means. That means in our home, the soundtrack for the last, for those two years, between three and five was, let it go, let it go, right? You you know this song, right? You're not that sheltered, hopefully. But after 10,000 times, I began to sing, go away, go away, I don't want to hear this stupid song anymore, right? And I was just like, oh my gosh. But here's the thing, she had never been to Disneyland at this point, and so as a father, over the, in the spring, I got the idea, I was like, you know what, I've never taken my family to Disneyland before, this is going to be our first road trip there, and so I started planning months and months in advance, 
And, and I share that with you because the funny part for me is I personally couldn't care less about seeing Mickey Mouse. I mean, it's not that I'm anti-Mickey Mouse, but really the joy for me was the fact that I was going to be able to plan an entire trip for my family and just sit back and my joy was just watching them enjoy the trip. Does that make sense? And I know it makes, paints me in a really good light, but that really was true. That's what I got most excited about. Now for Ashley... She doesn't know any of this. We didn't tell her anything. She had no idea I was planning this trip with her mother, okay? But here's the thing. Any kid that goes to meet Mickey Mouse, it's like a a Catholic meeting the Pope. You know what I'm trying to say? It's like this religious experience. They're like, oh, my gosh, you know? And so I was just thinking about all the cool restaurants and places we could go and things that we can do. And I began to start saving money because it's a very, very expensive thing. I've said this joke before, but it's actually kind of true. They call it the happiest place on earth for Mickey Mouse because he takes all of my money. That's why it's the happiest place on earth. But here's the thing. I got really OCD about all of this, and I share this with you because as I planned starting like in April, this trip was going to be in August. And so I was researching on the internet and just trying to figure out, okay, what is a fast pass? How does this work? What could we look at along the way, right? All of these plans were being put together. And I share this with you because it kind of makes me think about how God has planned our lives. That's the reality of it. I think that we don't think about God in these terms very often, about the fact that not only has he planned your life out, but the thing is, is that he delights, and he delighted in going, ooh, I can't wait for them to experience this. Oh, my gosh, I, I, I know the plans that I have for them. You see, in Scripture, it says, Psalm 139 said, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had even passed. And so I share this with you because the last chapter of your story should be you arriving home in heaven in the presence of God. When we think about the story and the plans and the journey that God wants to set you on, you have to understand something. He had you in mind before you even breathed your first breath. He's like a, he's a good father, and he's described as a good father. Now, I know immediately some of us, including me, we've got scars on our hearts, and, and our life doesn't feel like a vacation to Disneyland. I get that. But I want to let you know something, that the father, when he wrote out your, your life, You have to understand, he wants to walk with you through the valleys and the mountaintops. We don't serve just a mountaintop God, is my point. You see, God is God when I'm stressed about bills, as much as it is as I am, God is God at Disneyland. You see, this is a journey that we're on. Everybody say journey. We're on this journey, and God knows your story. But I want to remind you of some scripture, because some of you are disappointed tonight in God. I can feel this. But I want to let you know that God says in Jeremiah 29, 11, he says, listen, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Now, either God cannot be trusted or he could be fully trusted. How do we find this? Can I be honest with you? A couple of weeks ago, I did a a Devo on Instagram. I do these Despo Devos, and if you don't know what that is, basically every Monday night at 7 o'clock at Desperation Instagram, I get on live, and I take questions from students, just like you guys, and I want you to log in at 7 o'clock Monday nights and ask questions, but one of the things that I shared a couple of weeks ago was that the majority of the pain that has happened in my life has been caused by me. Does that make sense? Can anybody identify with that? Like, seriously, like the scars on your heart, you're just like, 
Honestly, it's because I made stupid choices and I got myself involved in situations that I knew were destructive, but I did them anyway, or I didn't have a lot of sense, right, or whatever it may be. And so I think a lot of the pain that we experience in the world, many times, not all the time, but many times it's because we have been trying to live outside of the story and the plans that God has for us. I think for students at this stage in your life, as I begin to pray and I was like, Lord, what do you want me to talk about tonight? I think too often the temptation is to try to take the pen out of God's hands and rewrite our stories. I, I really do feel this. When we do this, though, our, our stories, if you notice this, if you start writing your own story for any period of time, what you will find is that your story starts to look a lot like our culture. It's like, I need these things to feel fulfilled. I need these things to satisfy my needs. I need to pursue these things. So we take the pen out of God's hands so often and go, I know that you have written every day of my life out before the first one was lived, but I don't like the story you're writing for me right now. Give me the pen. I think I could do a better job. That's a temptation for all of us. So when we do this, though, sure, we love Jesus. But status, materialism, money, success, and starts being written into our stories a little bit more than maybe they should. And we begin to pursue these things and incorporate them, popularity, being accepted, just material things, money, um, advancement, uh, social status, all of these types of things begin to be added into our story because we feel like those things potentially are missing from the story that God is writing us. We don't like it. Our stories become, unfortunately, though, more about us and how we'd like them to end than what God has already determined. And so I, when I sit on the stage every Wednesday night, that's one of my favorite things about Wednesday night is sitting on the stage. If you stand in line and you wait for me, you know what I'm going to say. It's a stupid joke, but I really mean it. I'm like, I'm so glad you're here. Here, step into my office, right? Many of you all know what, I, what that means when I say that. But when I sit down, I talk to students so often and they're writing stories for their lives and now they've brought these chapters in that they don't want in their story anymore because they've taken the pen out of God's hands. And so if you and I were talking, as you think about your life, look at what God says about your story and start your journey with the end in mind. Any good author of a story always thinks about the end before they start. They have to know how this thing is going to wrap up. And so for me, as a father who was planning this trip for my kids and my family, I started with the end in mind. I started with when we pull back into that driveway in Bernie, Texas, what do I want my kids and my wife to have experienced? And then I could backfill all the plans. I think sometimes, though, what happens is, is when I do talk to students after DSM, it's not what you think. It's not, David... I really, I struggle with setting kittens on fire, and I just don't know. You know, it's not stuff like that, David. I, I, I um, you know, I just love uh, robbing banks, and I can't stop doing that. It's not students coming. You know when I'm talking to students where they're the, the most broken? It's one word. Pressure. Pressure. You guys, and students on this side of town, and I love the north side of Colorado Springs. I absolutely do. But man, the level of pressure that you guys are under is truly remarkable. And you don't know any better. You think this is the way life is always going to be and the way it's supposed to be. But you're under this pressure and this weight and you're starting to see little cracks 
in your life. And you're like, where are these things coming from? I can't have cracks in my life, right? And we begin to go, what's wrong with me? Oh, I got to patch these, these, crack, these cracks up or I got to start wearing a mask. I can't let people see that I'm beginning to crumble. And we live under this pressure because we're so concerned about the weight and the pressure. We got to keep this thing going because we're going to let so many people down if we blow it. I see pressure in your lives. And what I'm talking about, and the reason why this is so dangerous is because God's will under this pressure to perform in the way that society and your culture is telling you to, all of a sudden, achieving status, finding your identity and materialism is the thing that becomes your identity and it no longer is Jesus. And you go, this is what I'm about. This is who I am. And David, I've worked so hard to get to where I'm at. There's no way I can give that up in place of something that I'm not sure I fully trust. Is this too deep for y'all? Are you following? Are you okay? Okay. This is, this is a loving word for you guys. This is the best way that I can love you guys. What's so dangerous about this is I see too many students in youth ministry they wind up selling their birthright for the sake of other things. They exchange their purpose, they exchange their callings because of the pressure that they get to take the path that promises success or financial security or stability. In the name of responsibility, I see too many students exchange their call to be missionaries to be pastors and evangelists and worship leaders for a profession that they may be naturally talented at but is not in alignment with God's plans. I bring this up because I may be the only voice in your life saying this. I hope that's not the case. But I share this with you because God has created you for more than pressure and materialism. And these types of things that our culture says, this is the only way you can find success. And God is like, I am your success, sweetheart. I am your success, son. For I know the plans that I have for you. No one else does. Before you lived your first day, I've written out every letter of your story. If you'll let me keep writing it. But quit taking out the pen. You see what I'm saying? And all of a sudden, our stories begin to become these generic. Apart from that, when we, when we pursue these things out of the sake of responsibility, and this is who we have to be because this is what culture is saying you have to do, what happens is you start developing this vanilla, homogenized, general story that looks just like everybody else's and you begin to dress like them and you begin to talk like them and you just you're facing a million people that look and act and pursue the same things that you do and God said I created you uniquely you don't have to fit into someone else's mold man you get to be you do you do you everybody say do you let me let me share with you a couple of people that I found in the Bible that I want to talk to, you, talk to you about real quick. There's a dude named Paul, and Paul was right. Now, check this out. Maybe I guarantee you some of y'all can identify. One of these days, I will be able to get my stand at the right height, and it's going to be the best thing ever. I really believe the rapture will happen after that. <laughs> Paul, this guy, Paul, St. Paul, Paul in the Bible. Here's the deal with Paul. 
he was writing a story that showed him being a very moral, per, more, bleh, moral person. Guys, I've been up since 2 this morning. Forgive me, okay? But he was a moral person. He was an educated person, an inf- influential person, someone who kept all the rules. How many of y'all can identify with Paul? And you go, if I'm being honest, that sounds a little bit like me. It's not arrogant. Let me just see a show of hands. You're like, I try to be moral. I, I, I study hard. I work hard. Yeah, of course, man. I, I'm talking to a whole room full of people like that. And that's good. He was educated. He was influential. He kept all the rules. The problem was Paul was writing a story with his own end in mind, but it was the wrong ending. He thought he was writing the right story and following out the right storyline for his life, but it was wrong. It wasn't the ending that God had planned for Paul. Up to this point here, let me tell you about Paul really quickly. He was put in the best schools by his parents. Okay, this guy, he was raised to be a success, and he was a success by cultural and societal standards, okay? And what he did this one day is he told his story to a group of people called the Philippians. Oh, dear Jesus, help me. I really am a public speaker, I promise. But in Philippians 3, 4, this is what he said. He, he tells these people this. He's like, check this out. He said, Though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could. He says, indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, he's like, I've got even more confidence. He's like, if you're impressed with your grades, DSM, Paul is saying, dude, you should have seen mine. Paul's like, dude, if you're impressed with how I've climbed the ladder of influence and success, been there, done that, can't even touch me. He said, I have a pedigree. I came from a family that was as close as to royalty as you could possibly get. My last name meant something where I was at. And he's a moral person to top it off. And he loves God. Then what's the problem? He puts it this way. He's like, "Ah, you don't even understand. Now, you won't understand many of this, but many of you. But he says, let me just tell you how my life started out. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. Paul, we really didn't need to know all that, but thank you for sharing it either way. He says, I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel. Y'all need to lighten up. And a member of the tribe of Benjamin. He says, I was a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed all the laws without fault. Paul is a baller. We'd go, dude, this guy is living out God's story. But now that Paul has had it all, he goes, I used to think that these things were valuable. The education, the materialism, the success, the climbing the ladder, doing all the right things, making the grades, making good moral choices. He said, I used to think all these things were valuable. He says, but guess what? Spoiler alert. I now consider them worthless. Worthless? Y'all getting this? Worthless. No value whatsoever. What else is there to your life if you don't have a successful career, guys? What is there anything else in your life if you don't have a top education, successful, material, things, kids with straight teeth, you know, all of these things. 
You see, this is what the world says you have to have in order to be defined as a success. But that's what the world says you need in order to justify your existence. But then Paul meets Jesus. Everybody say, meet Jesus. It's, he's saying, now, now that I've met Jesus, all of this other stuff, I climbed the top of the ladder, it's worthless. He goes on to say, because of what Christ has done, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, and becoming one with him. This, man, I was under pressure, Paul is saying. I made the grades. I climbed the ladders. I played the game. I made the right choices. But, man, it was worthless compared to Jesus. I can't even, I don't even want to go back to that stuff. Paul realized something. It really isn't about the degree. It's really not, students, about the money. It's not about financial security or position. He's saying, listen, God's story, God's plan is infinitely better than trying to come up with a way to get to where you're supposed to go. This is why we are called to follow Jesus, not just admire him. Does that make sense? He knows, God already knows where he wants to lead you. He knows your story. He started with the end in mind. Where does this path go? God's story, he's written for you, if you are willing to live his story out, leads you to the presence of God for all of eternity. That's how our story should end. Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith, Scripture says. And because that's the case, y'all, that's how our story is going to end. I don't know how we're going to get there, the, you know, the twists and turns, mountains, valleys, but we're going to wind up there if we will follow out the story that God has written for us instead of us trying to write our own story and try to define and redefine success. You see, Paul realized there was a better way, and it wasn't found in getting more money, more success. It was about becoming more instead of getting more. Do you see the difference? We're already millionaires, we're billionaires, we're trillionaires in the kingdom of God. There's nothing else we need. You go, dude, seriously? Yes, seriously. If we have Jesus, that's the only thing that's going to last for all of eternity. So hang the degree on your wall, that's great. Get smart, children. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you say, that's who I am, you understand it's only a piece of paper that a man has ascribed value to that says this is who you are and this is why you're validated as a person. At some point, that thing will go into the trash can or it will burn. The only thing that will last in your life is your soul. And Jesus wants your soul at the end of your story to go to be in a place of perfection, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's right. You won't have to pursue it anymore, though. He's saying what the world defines as success is actually really garbage. Success is walking out and living out the story God has for us. But Paul had a tough choice to make, though. Jesus presents himself to Paul, and now Paul has a decision. I've worked so hard all my life to get to where I'm at, and now Jesus, in order to follow him, i got to give all this up, and i got to give it over to him and let him decide what, what to do with it all? Jesus, do you know how hard I've worked for this? And I think that's a struggle for some of you. You've been working so hard, and you're under pressure, and you're striving, and you're moving forward. You're advancing. You have a bright future by cultural standards in front of you. But Jesus is now potentially presenting you with the same choice. Are you willing? Doesn't, I'm not saying you have to. 
Are you willing to give it up for Jesus, though? That should let you know who's writing the story in your life. But Paul isn't done. He says, listen, man, I no longer count my own righteousness, good works, sincere efforts through obeying the law, doing all the right things. Rather, I become righteousness through Jesus Christ. He's like, I don't have to try to be righteous anymore. I don't have to try to be a perfect person anymore. I just get to rest in the fact that Jesus did it for me, and I could just appreciate the riches of his love and walk in the freedom of that. How liberating is that? There's no pressure when you follow Jesus, guys. And if there is, you're doing it wrong. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Nowhere in there. He's like, I can't wait to see you so I can throw some more pressure on you. He's like, I know you're tired. I know you're worn out. Come to me and rest in me. Your soul is so heavy. Jesus says, abide in me and I will abide in you. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. But if you remain in me and I in you, you will produce much fruit. So if you want to be successful no matter what, Jesus says you can't do this by yourself. Because the success that you try to pursue, the material things that you try to pursue, will leave you wanting more. That's why someone who makes a million dollars wants to make five million. It's never enough. I didn't hear that, but I bet you it was funny. There's another dude named Solomon. Everybody say Solomon. Objectively speaking, historians will say richest man ever in the world. Okay? It's not Bezos. It's Solomon. Okay? Solomon, objectively the richest. He had the most power at this point. He had status. He had success. Solomon was the top of the heap, y'all. Towards the end of his life, though, because he pursued success, He's kind of thinking through his life. Now he's old. He's achieved everything. Literally, guys, he had 1,300 women that he was married to and a couple of hundred that they were just there to make sure that he always stayed happy. Okay? 1,300. Now, the, all the women in here are like, that guy is a womanizer. All the men in here is like, that sounds kind of cool. I'm not going to lie. Right? But let's find out. He had the money, he had the wisdom, he had the power, he had it all. Let's find out, now that he's had it all, he looks back on his life and this is what he says. He's like, everything is meaningless. The most powerful, good looking, tons of chicks, lots of money, he has it all. And at the end of his life, he says everything is meaningless. He's like, completely. Everybody say completely. DSM, you got to step up your A game. Completely. He's like, what? what do people get from all their hard work under the sun, dude? Generations come and go, but the earth never changes. Richest guy, top of the ladder of success, has it all. He goes, everything is wearisome beyond description. He's like, this stuff causes me pressure. I've played the game. I've done it. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. History merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say, here is something new, but actually it's old. Nothing is ever truly new. We don't remember what happened in the past, and in future generations, no one's going to remember what we're doing now. Ecclesiastes 1. Then he goes on to say this, though. He says, here's my story. Here's when I was thinking, man, if I just pursue these things, I will be awesome. 
So this is what he said. I said to myself, self, come on, let's try some pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that that too was meaningless. I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and planting beautiful vineyards. But I even collected like great sums of silver and gold and treasure of many kings and prophecies. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines. Y'all know what a concubine is? Look it up on Google. So I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me. Do y'all hear that? He's saying I was the top of the heap. It's got to, this story has to end awesome though. Because our culture says this is exactly the definition of success. Fame, women, men, if that's your thing, whatever it may be. Top. It's got to turn out great because our culture promises that if you got these things, you're, you're doing it. He said, I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But listen to what he says, DSM. In Jesus' name, I want you to hear this. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish... It was all so meaningless. When I look back on my life, it was a freaking waste of time. It was like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. He says, so what do people get in this life for all their hard work and anxiety? Their days of labor are filled with pain and grief. Even at night, their minds cannot rest. He's like, it's all meaningless. Here's what's crazy. A lot of what I just shared with you, I hear come out of my students' mouths here in DSM. David, I lie awake and I can't sleep. I have insomnia. I have anxiety. I don't even know why I'm pursuing all these things. I'm under such great pressure. Isn't that what he says? He says, so what do people get for all of their hard work and anxiety? Their days of labor are filled with pain and grief. Even at night, their minds cannot rest. It's all meaningless. So if it's all meaningless, and Paul, in another example, says it's worthless, maybe they know something we don't. Maybe we should rediscover tonight that God may want to write a different story that the culture and our world would say that makes you a loser and doesn't make you financially viable and doesn't make you successful. But what if God says, I actually know the plans that I have for you? Why don't you just let me try to lead you a little bit and maybe you'll discover that as you take this walk of faith, I will show that I will be faithful do you see what I'm saying? Guys, I want to liberate you tonight. I'm so tired of, of just seeing so many students, good students like you. I love you guys so much. I pray for you every morning. And I pray about these things because it burdens me, because it bums me out that I hate, I hate seeing such high-capacity students just under this pressure when Scripture is kind of making a case that, man, a lot of what you're struggling with is actually not necessary. Now, I know what some of y'all are thinking, and there's going to be parents listening to this podcast as well. So I put this in my sermon, because knowing at this point you would go, okay, well then what do you want me to do? Do you want me to just stay in my mother's basement for the rest of my life and eat Doritos and play PS4? Yes, that is exactly what scripture is saying. 
No, that's not what I'm saying. I think what Paul and Solomon is trying to get to you guys and to this generation is that the pursuit of money, the pursuit of things for their own sake is not going to give you what you're looking for. Period. Now, some of you, you're going to hear this tonight and your life's going to change. Others of you, you're going to have to get to the end of your life to realize that what your youth pastor told you in your teenage years was 100%. Either way, you're going to find this out. I'm just pointing out that there's two guys that have already rung the bell and they're saying it's worthless. They both realize there has to be more to life than this, this rat race, this pursuit of wealth and prestige. We put our faith in Jesus to save us. Isn't that something, how we can put our faith to say, when I die, I believe that you will take me to heaven. And yet we cannot put our faith in him to lead us. Isn't that crazy? I believe that you could save my soul from hell. Break the bondage of sin in my life. But I do not believe that you can lead me through one day successfully. That's what we say through our actions and the choices that we make, y'all. What I'm here to tell you is live the life that Jesus came to give you. It's worth exploring. Guys, I, I've done it. I've done the career thing. I've pursued a musical career. I made money doing it. I didn't make a lot, but I made enough. And guys, at the end of my, when I was on my deathbed, and many of you know that story, I realized what Solomon realized this was all meaningless. There has to be more. That's why I do what I do tonight. Because I realize it's not about making more. It's about becoming more. You see, Jesus says this. He says, why do you worry about your clothes? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. Jesus is using Solomon thousands of years later as an example of glory and beauty. And he's saying, listen. He was beautiful, and he had it going on, but when you look at a flower in the field, he's actually, that flower, if it has a gender, is actually more beautiful and adorned than Solomon. All right. Why do you have so little faith, Jesus is asking you tonight? Don't worry about these things saying, oh my gosh, what am I going to eat? What am I, what, what school am I going to go to? What if I don't get the scholarship? What if my GPA drops to 3.9, God forbid? What will we drink? What will we wear? What will we do? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs tonight, DSM. Jesus says, just seek the kingdom above all else. And live righteously, and he will give you everything that you need. So here's the thing. You don't have to give up your life to go live in a grass hut with snakes and be a missionary wearing a grass skirt unless God tells you to do that. <laughs> it's about priority. God is saying, listen, I designed you to be successful. I designed you to do remarkable things as doctors and architects and lawyers and teachers and preachers and all of these. I, I don't mind. He doesn't mind that. He doesn't mind the fact that maybe someday you'll have a really nice car. He doesn't mind the fact that you would live in a very nice home. He doesn't. Those are blessings from God. But what did it take for you to get those things? 
That's the question. And do you hold them so tightly that that's your identity now, and this idea of trusting God means that you have to give up yourself, deny yourself, and follow Christ? You see, that's the thing. What I would say, the problem isn't what you pursue. It's why you pursue it is what makes it the problem. Does that make sense? God says, pursue me. You see, materialism, is a, this is a big deal because a lot of what's motivating a lot of students on the north side of town is really the pursuit of materialism. To be able to provide security for yourself so that you can continue to have more, experience more, these types of things. And, and I'm not dogging north side, but this is, this is a stronghold on this side of town. And I want you to be liberated so you can pursue all those awesome things, but you're not going to be trapped by them. Okay? You see, Scripture says true godliness with contentment, being satisfied with what you have, is itself great wealth. When you're just content with today and it gets nothing, no better than this, if you can get to that point, that is of great wealth. You're already a wealthy person. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into this world, and we cannot take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Let's stop being entitled. But people who long to be rich will fall into temptation and they are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money's not evil. The love of money is what's evil, students. Big difference. Some people craving money, they have wandered away from the true faith and they themselves have been pierced with many sorrows. That is what you get when you pursue success for its own sake. Does that make sense? People have exchanged Jesus for the pursuit of wealth and status and prominence and power and position. Do you see, do you see scriptures calling this out? And because of that, they're pierced with many sorrows. The things that these things promise to give them, they do not deliver. But it's great wealth to say, all I need and all I have is in you, Jesus. And push comes to shove, you're enough. That's a hard prayer to pray. You see, when we hold on to what we think we have, because you can't keep it forever, our hands will be too full to receive what God wants to give us. So the day that we're supposed to leave for our trip to Disneyland and get on the highway, Ashley says, Daddy, where are we going? She doesn't know. I know the, I know the plans that I have for her. Daddy. And I said, oh, baby, we're going somewhere really cool. I didn't give her any details either. But because I'm her father and she trusts me, we sat in the back of the Honda Element for like 1,500 miles. And she had no idea where I was taking her, but she trusted me and she loved me. And it was cool. She was cool with just the answer, I'm taking you somewhere cool. Here's a picture of us in the back seat. She has no idea. I'm going to throw that picture up. There, there's us. Okay. Thumbs up and everything. You know, I, I, but I want you to, I, I wanted to show this picture to you really quickly because... This is what your relationship with God should look like, minus the cheesy sunglasses. <laughs> but my teeth look white. Here's the thing. She has no idea where I'm taking her. I could have driven her off a cliff. 
she's under my power and authority, but I'm her father and I love her and I knew the plans that I had for her. I want you to look at your journey with God like this. You're in the car seat and you're just thumbs up. You have no idea where he's taking you, but you're like, I'm in. I'm in, God. And look at the smile. I think that's what makes God smile. Now, at the risk of making myself actually like put it, say, I'm God, I'm not saying that, but this is a picture. Okay, so guys, check it out. I couldn't wait for this moment. So we take her, we're in Anaheim, California. We're less than one block away from the happiest place on earth for Mickey Mouse. And I'm sitting there in the car. And I said, Ashley? She's like, what? <laughs> Watch this video. Guess where we're going to go right now? Would you like to go to Disneyland? Yes. I'm going to go right now. You want to go right now? <laughs> yes. Do you want to go to the castle where Sleeping Beauty sleeps? <laughs> do you, do you want to go meet Mickey Mouse right now? Yes. And Winnie the Pooh? Yes. And Piglet? Yes. Do you want to go to Disneyland? Yes. Let's go to Disneyland! I think, do you know who's there? <laughs> Everybody. I think Barney is there. <gasps> I don't think Barney's there, but guess who's there? Who? Minnie and Mickey and Goofy and Donald and, Donald and <laughs> Daisy and Chip and Dale. <gasps> And Pete and Peter Pan and Curlerbell. Clarabelle, Clarabelle uh -huh. yeah. And and, and Cinderella <laughs> is there. Yeah. Cinderella and Snow White. You want to go see him? Yeah. Let's do it. You want to? Let's go to Disneyland. Let's go! Yay! Yes. And Let's go. Ruth's there too. Yes. You want to go? Yes. Okay. Now, I could be a really cheesy pastor and talk about how Magic Kingdom is the kingdom that God wants to give you, the real Magic Kingdom. But I'm not going to do that. But I, I got credit for it anyway, which is amazing. Here's the thing. I knew the plans that I had for her, and the reason why is because I started with the end in mind. When God wrote your story, he started with the end in mind. He's a good father, guys. He does not intend for you to pursue things that can just be destroyed and burn and rust. He says, you can have me. Can you trust him to take you on the journey without you having to know and do a 10-year spreadsheet on your life? And go, well, by 25, I'll be here. And then when I'm 30, I'll do it. Can you just go, God, that's the way you've made me, and that's cool. But I give you this spreadsheet, and I'm just going to let you take a big old eraser to any of this stuff. Because you know where you're taking me, and you're a good father. You see what I'm saying? I preached a very similar sermon back in my youth group in San Antonio. As the band comes up, and... Uh, it really convicted, because it's a lot of the same type of students that are in here. High capacity, awesome, beautiful, just amazing students. Guys, I'm so blessed to be your youth pastor. I'm not even joking. I really, really love you. And, and so 
I loved them too. This is back in 2012, and I preached a similar sermon. And would you throw that picture up of Justin? I, I kind of skipped my order there. Okay, leave that up there. So this is one of my students from my youth group in San Antonio, and I preached this sermon very similar to this. And we were also raising money uh, for a mission trip. And he was listening to this, and he went, you know what? I've been saving for three years to buy a car. He said, I'm about to turn 16. And he wasn't bragging. But he said, I've saved up like $4,000 mowing grass, sacking leaves, doing all sorts of stuff to save for this car. Now he's at the point to buy the car. And I preached a sermon like this, and he felt like, I've been hanging on too tightly to these material things, these $4,000 to buy my car. He says, I want to take this money instead, and I want to give all of it to the mission trip. And I'm like, Justin, either you're really full of the Holy Spirit or you are high on crack cocaine. <laughs> he said, no, I'm full of the Holy Spirit. I'm like, okay, great. I'm still going to do a year analysis. So here's the thing. How open-handed are you with these things in your life? God doesn't want to take your blessings away and go, ha, ha, ha. But what really gets the best of you? I said this last week, of your time, talent, and treasure. You see, as Jesus followers, and I'll close with this, as Jesus followers, we have to follow Jesus the way Jesus walks. And, and Jesus, the Son of God, left the kingdom and listened to what he did. We, need, we want to look like Jesus? Here's how we can start. It says, though, in, in Philippians 2, it says, though he was God, capital G-O-D, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, listen to what Jesus did. He gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all, of, of all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue would declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It doesn't say in here every tongue will declare that money, power, status, prominence, position, advancement is what everybody will ultimately bow to. What do you bow to? Because that's the God you follow. Once again, good things are good things, but they become very destructive things and pierce you with many sorrows when we don't seek first the kingdom of God. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Hayden, come on up. I don't know how this message was going to hit you, quite honestly, and, I, and I, I'm not worried about it. I, I would just simply ask, allow God to show you what you need to know. But guys, Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I really want to give you rest. But you've got to pursue this rest daily. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is everybody just stand to your feet really quietly, okay? And for those in here who are weary and burdened, and you went, you know what? I've been living the life of Solomon. I've been living the life of Paul, and I thought that that's what I was supposed to do. But Jesus says, through his word, these things are worthless and meaningless if you're doing them to achieve something. You already have all you need, and it's Jesus. And you need to re rediscover that tonight. It doesn't make you bad. It just 
You needed someone to remind you. The Father knows the plans he's got for you. Will you just simply be willing to sit in the car seat with thumbs up and just trust him and just follow him? He knows where he wants to take you, and it's much better than you probably think it is. What you give up, you get more of from God, okay? But those, there's those in here tonight, and maybe you thought that even coming into this room was making you religious so God would like you. But I'm here to tell you, you've learned tonight that trying harder and trying to be moral and coming to this youth group doesn't make you holy. It doesn't do anything. What makes you holy? What gives you value? What exchanges your life of, of things that overpromise and underdeliver to the one who would save you and forgive you and restore you and begin to make a path for you to live out the story that God has for your life is to receive Christ and say, Jesus, I put my faith in you. I didn't understand it. And there's some in here tonight, you feel the stirring in your heart and you don't know what it is. What I'm here to tell you, what that is, that's a very familiar feeling that people feel when God begins to speak to your heart. Tonight, for some in here, it's made more sense to you than it ever has before in what it means to know God and know Jesus. And so I want to give you a moment right now to say yes to him. And so pray with me right now. If you have never exchanged your life for the life of Jesus, pray with me right now. Dear Jesus, I admit I'm not perfect. I believe and I confess that I'm a sinner. But I believe, Jesus, you came down to this earth and died for my sins. You paid my debt off, my debt of sin. So in this moment, I put my faith in you, Jesus. I want to live out the story that you have written for me. I believe that you died on the cross. I believe you rose again from the th on the third day. And I believe that you're at the right hand of the Father, hearing my prayer. I want to live your story now, God. I put my faith and my trust in you. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit, Father. I commit my life to you. I want you to write my story in Jesus' name. And if you prayed that for the very first time and you meant that from the bottom of your heart, would you just raise your hand? I'm not going to make you do anything weird. Come on. Come on. I see your hand up. Don't be shy. Come on. Look around. Look around. Look around. This is amazing. Keep it up really high. Keep it up really high. Praise Jesus, man. Praise Jesus. Take it off.